Hey family, welcome back. Before we get started, I want to thank our friends at the Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness and Transformation. Let's hear what they have to offer. The Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness and Transformation is your one-stop shop to Wellville. Here at the Center, we believe in treating the whole person. This is why our goal is to help each of our clients to obtain optimal health and wellness through mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional alignment. For more information about the services that we provide, visit us at thecenterforselfimprovement.com or give us a call at 630-748-4849. The Center, where we believe in treating the whole you. So here's my confession. This weekend was amazing. The Melanated Queen Awards was epic, and I'm so proud of the 22 honorees whom we recognize for their servant leadership in their communities. For those who do not know, we hosted the Melanated Queen Awards in an effort to raise capital for the Confessions of a Melanated Queen documentary series. We just completed filming for the pilot episode titled, I May Not Send My Kid to College. This pilot episode is an extension of my book, Confessions of a Melanated Queen, where I have a chapter called, I May Not Send My Kid to College. Just like the book, the documentary series will address various perspectives on the idea and purpose for college, as well as alternative options for post-secondary education. On today's show, we have Dr. Andrea Davis, founder of Scholarly Pursuits. Dr. Andrea discussed her role as an educational consultant and how her work supports students of color. Dr. Davis offers a wealth of knowledge and serves as an advocate, especially for those students and families who simply need someone to believe that higher education is absolutely for them. Let's take a listen. Hey, Queen, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm well. How are you? I am great. I'm so happy to talk to you. We've been trying to do this for a while, but we finally got our schedules together. We have. I'm so glad it finally worked out. You know, it's been some time, but I'm ready and looking forward to it. Absolutely. So, you know, I know a little bit about you. I've been following you, but can you tell the audience about you and what you do? Sure. Well, my name is Dr. Andrea Davis, and I am the founder and lead consultant of Scholarly Pursuits. And Scholarly Pursuits is an educational consultancy that focuses on helping students of color get into and get through college and graduate school. And so by getting into and getting through, what I mean by that is we not only help with the front end of things in terms of helping a student or their family with um, like college planning or graduate school planning, building an application package, uh, building uh, the best college admissions or graduate school admissions essay and things like that to help them get in. But then we also help once they have become uh, an actual student, once they are admitted and may need help kind of navigating the process or having general college or graduate school coaching, um, perhaps being taught how to conduct research, being introduced to research, um, just being introduced to the general collegiate or graduate school environment, helping with uh, dissertation or thesis preparation, uh, defense preparation, things like that, really just anything that they may need once they are uh, an actual college or graduate student, the things that they may need to excel and succeed and to hopefully graduate <laughs> eventually. And so I've been doing this now for, well, since 2010. And I first started doing this work inside of the college. Um, I was doing college advising 
where I went to uh, for my PhD program. And as an advisor, I was helping students, you know, with their major decisions for their major um, coursework selection, helping them with testing in terms of um, figuring out what tests they needed to go to different graduate programs, helping them build lists for their graduate programs they were interested in, just helping them with kind of general uh, issues they were having navigating the collegiate space. And it was then that, although, so to give you some background on what my PhD is in, I actually am a criminologist um, by trade, but it was in doing that work while I was training in my criminology program that I really fell in love with uh, the college advising and just the process of helping students with college and graduate school. And so I knew pretty early on uh, that this was something I would want to do after I finished, although it was different than the degree program that I was pursuing. Kind of also at the same time, uh, some of my research in my CRIM program was focused on uh, the school to prison pipeline, kind of disrupting that. And as a race scholar, you know, I was really interested in what can I do in an applied active kind of way to help funnel students uh, into the education system and out of the criminal justice or juvenile justice system. So all of that sort of came together in a perfect way. Um, my research, my time in advising while I was in my doc program to put me on the path to founding Scholarly Pursuit. And as a, a black woman who was in a doc program at a predominantly white institution, the things that I went through there, you know, I, I know that students of color need a different type of support, um, particularly at PWIs, but just in general, um, than other students and students in the majority. And certainly coming from my background, I'm, I'm from Michigan and I started my college experience uh, actually at a community college in Michigan. I know that I didn't have much help when I was trying to make my college decisions um, with my family. And although I was an honor student, I still just didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I feel that some of that was related to me being dismissed um, as a student. I came from a predominantly white high school. Uh, the, the teachers there, while they were interested in me, because like I said, I was a good student, they were interested in kind of funneling me into a particular type of program. Like I was such a good student, the only places they wanted to talk to me about going to were Ivy League, Ivy League institutions, for example. Um, and I just wasn't interested in that. At the time, I didn't even really realize HBCUs existed. And because I had so much racial battle fatigue from what I had experienced uh, K through 12, really, not just in high school, I had no interest in being anywhere like a, an Ivy League institution where, in my opinion, it would have just been a repeat of that. So I ended up actually going to community college first. And so you'll see on my, on my page that I'm a big advocate of, of community colleges uh, for many reasons, but that was my start. And kind of fast forward to now, I just want to be part of the solution for helping students, not only with college and grad school accessibility, but helping them to feel as if this is indeed a place for them. Um, they are good enough. They can go, they can get through, and they can feel like education is indeed for them because it is. So I, the question I have for you, I, I can recall a few years ago, 
when I was working in a community-based organization and I was their director of higher education and scholarship. So part of my responsibility was exposing these kids to college and supporting them as they transition. So I took them to a predominantly white institution that's well known, which will remain nameless, but a <laughs> very, very, you know, affluent institution. And I, I felt immediately that this was not the place for majority of those students. These were kids from the south side of Chicago, um, low-income communities. And what I knew they needed was to be in an environment where they felt kinship and they felt support and they felt like they could they can um, relate to the, the students and the staff and they would not have gotten that experience there. Yes, the name itself would have looked great on paper for them, but I was concerned about their experience. So how important do you think it is for, for and I know you mentioned HBCUs, for students of color to be in environment where they feel welcome and they feel like they are a part of the institution. They're really a part of the fabric and not just a student there. I think it is absolutely of utmost importance. And I think that's part of an overall calculation of a student's fit for an institution. So one of the things I'm most passionate about as an educational consultant is helping a student determine what school is the right fit for them. And in many cases for students of color, it may be a minority serving institution, perhaps not just an HBCU. You know, there are other minority serving institutions like Hispanic serving institutions and Asian and Pacific Islander serving institutions and so on. But I think that um, just one sort of natural way of um, feeling included in an environment is when your diversity counter, if you will, is not predicated upon your race or ethnicity. Mm. And that the case at an HBCU or any other uh, minority serving institution. So when I'm talking to my students about determining what schools may be the best fit for them, that is part of the overall fit equation. Now that said, I do think a, a student of color can go to a PWI and feel included, but I do want them to realize it's going to be a different sense of inclusivity. The nature of the campus experience is going to be different the nature of relationships with faculty and, and so on, it's, just, it's going to be different. And I just want them to be aware of that and kind of not have any um, false or wrong expectations about what experiences are going to be had at these different types of institutions. So when they're determining their best fit, all of that goes into it, whether it's an HBC or minority serving institution or PWI, the size of the institution, the location, uh, particularly for students of color, Increasingly, there seems to be an issue with um, some of these schools that are in the South, <laughs> just, just keeping it real. Um, we're seeing increased publicity on, on some incidents that are happening on many of these campuses. So that, that comes into the, the conversation as well. So I just want students to not at all underestimate the time that they should take to spend on determining what schools would indeed be a best fit for them and why and that big name schools are whether it's ivy league or just some other big name is not necessarily the best for them and that includes you know what is kind of uh jokingly or even in some circles more seriously referred to as the black ivy league institutions you know mm -hmm. like a howard Feldman, morehouse and so on um you know that that comes with a different set of expectation is like expectations is from some of the other hbcus even so again, fit, 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 <laughs> focus on the fit and don't necessarily think it means what you think it means when you're first starting the process. I, I read in, when I was working on my dissertation, I read another uh, 
journal, academic journal, and, and, and within that article, their research was indicating that what they found was that even students who, students who entered HBCUs who had lower ACT, SAT scores, and even lower GPAs, they excelled far more than those students who were well-prepared who entered predominantly white institutions. And they found that the, the, the underlying reason for that was that because they had the level of support that they needed, again, the kinship, the friendly environment of an institution that welcomed them. So even though they, didn't, they came to college underprepared, they still graduated, they still excelled, they still performed better than their counterparts who were well-prepared and went to, to a predominant white institution. And I thought that was interesting. It is interesting. And, you know, I think it's just part of the testament of HBCUs produce black excellence. <laughs> you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, we see that time and time again, whether it's the percentage of um, like doctors or lawyers or PhDs, engineers, et cetera, who come from an HBCU, we see that HBCUs, again, create black excellence. So they it, cultivate black excellence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something I didn't know about until honestly I started working in higher education myself. I never paid attention to it, you know, because I, I personally had no interest in going to HBCU because most of them were too far from me and I wanted to be close to home. But it's not until I, I began working with students that, that I began to see that trend. So with, with your work, do you, how do you, if, if so at all, do you ever address that underpreparedness that some of the students deal with because even if with their transition to graduate school oftentimes it's there there's still the 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 after effects of them sometimes not being prepared from the beginning so i can i can tell you for an example what i mean by this is that i've seen students including myself you go to college undergrad underprepared not really having everything in line aligned like the way some of your counterparts would and so that you continue to struggle through school you may even graduate but even going into uh, graduate school can be a challenge because you were already behind a curve. So it, it, do you address that at all in your work? Oh my gosh. Hey, I can tell you a personal story <laughs> about that. I mean, yes, I, I do. And my way of addressing that um, really is just by helping the students be prepared and know what to expect mm -hmm. and really helping to kind of mentally set them up for, well, for example, with me, I came from an environment academically in undergrad where I was exemplary. You know, I was on the top of my class, top of my college, all of that. Then I came into a research one predominantly white institution for my PhD program. And, you know, I was like in the middle and I, that was a, a mental adjustment. Mm -hmm. And part of, I wish I had been better prepared for just that aspect of it, because I think, a lot of folks who are going uh, into graduate programs, of course, are, are used to doing pretty well uh, in undergrad, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that will automatically translate to doing very well or being at the top, you know, in, in graduate school. You may have been a big fish in a relatively small pond in undergrad, and now you're just, you know, a regular fish in a, a big pond in, in graduate school. And so that's the mental preparation, um, and that's really mental gymnastics, actually, and in some ways, getting used to what was, for a lot of us, a core part of our identity, you know, this idea of, of our exemplary kind of academic status going to being, well, you know, I'm okay. I'm just okay. And actually, in some ways, I'm kind of behind. You know, I went to a teaching college for undergrad. I didn't go to a research-based institution, really. And so even getting acclimated with research was a huge transition for me. And so I had to catch up, 
you know, I had to spend more hours than some of my counterparts just getting acclimated to what is true academic research. You know, this is not about looking on Wikipedia or just finding a random article on Google Scholar. Like this means something right. totally different. Um, you know, my, for example, my research method course in college didn't have a lab component. So I was really, I was struggling <laughs> when I got to grad school and methods had a lab with it. Like, oh no, what, you know, what do I do? How do I navigate through that space? So all of that to say, uh, part of what I do is really help uh, my students to mentally kind of prepare for what may happen in that space and teach them what they may need to do to catch up, if that is indeed um, the case for them and help them build practices and techniques and habits and whatnot that can allow them to catch up, but also knowing that, you know, it's, it's not that you're not good enough or not smart enough or anything. You just haven't had the preparation that some of your colleagues have had to this point. You know, you can get that, you can catch up, um, but you just, it is extra work that you will have to do. And while you're catching up, you will have to likely navigate the various um, microaggressions and macroaggressions and whatnot in the program just as a student of color, but then also as someone who may not have the kind of ready to go just add water skill set that some of the other students are coming with, particularly if you were admitted uh, into a PhD program just with your bachelor's degree versus coming into a, a doc program having a master's already. Wow. And you mentioned um, having a, a level of advocacy for community colleges. What are some of your experiences? Do you work with students who do not take the traditional route, but maybe go into industrial trades or uh, like certificate programs and things like that? I do. And I would say that's a relatively small part of uh, the clientele that I work with. Most of my students, um, if they are entertaining what they consider at least a non-traditional route, it is community college or junior college versus trade schools. But I, I feel that, you know, Dr. Jill Biden, um, former Vice President Joe Biden's wife, once mentioned that uh, community colleges are one of America's most underutilized resources. And I am a firm believer in that. Um, whether it is financial, for financial reasons, whether you are just uncertain about the major that you would like to pursue or about career options, I think there are so many reasons why community colleges should be the first type of college uh, that many students consider when they're thinking about their college future. And it's unfortunate that the reasons why so many students don't consider community college are really just based on stigma and, and stereotypes. You know, I really wish, um, speaking to you right now, that you were more local because in my book, Confessions of a Melody Queen, I have a chapter called I May Not Send My Kid to College. And of course, that was too late. It was, just, it was the, whole, the whole purpose of me creating that title so people would be like, oh, what is she talking about? How does Dr. Lauren say that? Well, you know, in, in that chapter, I covered a number of different areas that, you know, I feel like parents and their students should consider as they, they decide and choose post-secondary educational options. And so re what I'm doing now, fast forward a year later, we're filming a documentary series for the book. So there, there should be like a episode per chapter. And so the pilot episode is I may not send my kid to college. And I'm having all these experts, people who work in higher education, people who work at the local high schools, parents, you know, who have different opinions of how they want to encourage their children. I'm giving, I'm getting their insight 
And I just really wish that we could have you to be a part of this. I mean, you're in D.C., correct? That's correct. Uh, we got to figure out a way to do this. <laughs> we do. Gotta, Let's do it. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're we filming. Can... Yeah, we're filming now. But I guarantee you, we, we, we could be able to. I don't know. We got to figure something out. I, I have to have you part of this project. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I'm sold. All right. We'll definitely talk about this offline. Uh, so, okay. So, so moving forward, what, how, how do you, how do you garner clients? How does that work for you? Well, some clients, uh, I still have just through word of mouth, uh, from where I came from when I was doing college advising, um, when I was in graduate school. So I still have my kind of Southern contacts <laughs> just because I started this whole process down there. Um, other than that, I do a lot of social media marketing, and I also do uh, events locally. Um, so I may do a talk or an event like at a boys and girls club or at a school or at a library um, where I just invite people to come out. Typically, uh, it's some kind of free event just to share some basic knowledge. Like, for example, the last couple of weekends, I had uh, a co- what I call the college admission tax webinar. Um, where me and another consultant got together to go over um, six major components of planning for college. So, you know, we talked about admissions essays, um, financial aid, testing, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a three-hour-long webinar (laughs) series all together with all of the parts. Uh, And it just gave people a really good idea, a really great foundation to be able to start the college planning process in an informed way and through different events like that uh, clients reach back out because they want more personalized services you know those kinds of events are kind of more general and whatnot Um, but clients sort of funnel in uh, through events like that so that's primarily uh, the way that i i get clients and then also i have like other types of uh, events whether it's just coming to or going to a um like an, an HBCU festival or just a general college fair or something like that. Uh, I may do tabling there and recruit clients in that way as well. So what is the timeline for them? Once they, they are um, a part of your caseload, for lack of better words, what is the process <laughs> for your clients? Is it something like, like a six months to a year type of plan or is it based on their needs? It is completely based on their needs and what they would like in the package that they um, are interested in based on what their needs are. So for example, I have packages where I start working with a family um, during the student's junior year of high school. And so altogether, that timeline covers about a year and a half uh, because, you know, they're starting kind of at the right point, sort of at the sweet spot of uh, college admissions when you really need to um, get started because you're not behind on anything. So it could be a comprehensive package like that. I also have a year-long package, comprehensive package for um, students who are starting in their high school senior year. But, and and same with from college to graduate school from that point. Um, We're starting working with college juniors who are thinking about uh, getting into graduate school within the next year and a half. Um, So those are the comprehensive long-term kind of packages that I offer. But I also do one-off services, such as, say, uh, editing a personal statement for graduate school or for college, or helping uh, a student find scholarships that are tailored towards 
to them and their particular needs and their particular um, areas of interest and, and uh, where they excel. So it can be long-term services or it can be a one-off kind of a la carte version as well. It really just depends on what the student and their family may want or and also, of course, um, can afford, you know, what works in that family's kind of best interest in general. Okay. Now, why do you think there's a growing need for educational consultants like yourself? Because the educational, the higher educational game, it really is becoming increasingly competitive. Mm -hmm. um, there were times, I mean, even when I was going to college at this point, um, you know, over 10 years ago, that if you were, if you had a high GPA and high test scores, you were, I'm not going to say a shoe in, but you knew you were going to have a very good chance of getting into a school of, of choice, um, even if it were a very a highly selective school. Now, that's not necessarily the case. You've got these schools, the most selective schools, getting thousands and thousands and thousands of applications every semester. Every student is exemplary. You need to figure out a way to stand out. And typically, you need help with that because a lot of people who are genuinely interested in helping you out just may not have the actual background to be able to do so. So just because someone went to college or went to graduate school themselves doesn't necessarily mean they're equipped to help you with the admissions process because there's so much going on behind the scenes that you need to know. You need to be keeping up with trends in higher ed. You need to be doing college visits. Um, there's just so much going on kind of behind the, the scenes that just simply having a college degree or grad degree yourself isn't enough and it's not really um students need to seek outside assistance and so that's why we're seeing this field really explode in the way that it has but you certainly want to be careful with the kind of for consultants that you pursue you know recent events with this college bribery scandal mm -hmm. i think bring that you know more than ever there are some unscrupulous people out here and you want to make sure you're working with a consultant who is not guaranteeing you admission or guaranteeing a scholarship, you know, unless it's a scholarship that they themselves are, are giving you. Um, you want to look out for people that could maybe be trying to take advantage of you and your family or your student for certain. Wow. That's interesting. Okay, thanks for sharing that. Well, one of the last questions that I have for you, I, I'm thinking back on when that, that film that I mentioned to you, we, you know, we, we were filming about a few weeks ago, and we were having conversations with some recent grads and people who have gone through the college process. When they, when they were reflecting on their experiences, they, they mentioned a lot about struggling with mental health. And it, it really hit home for me because I remember being an undergraduate student at a predominantly white institution and at times feeling depressed. Um, so before we started recording, you know, we, we had made mention about why it's important to maintain mental health among students of color. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and the role you play in that? Oh, we. <laughs> so one of the things I'm, I try hardest to do with my students is to help them know the importance of being aware of their mental health and doing what it takes to to maintain it whatever that means you know if that means getting um, professional help do that you know if that just means taking some time out of your work week to have some me time and veg out on netflix and do that as well um, but particularly in i'm going to say the black community in particular there is still 
a large stigma around mental health and around talking about it even. And so what I like to do with my students, A, is start off with just some myth busting about what mental health is or isn't. Um, and then also teaching them kind of what ways that mental health concerns may start to manifest in their collegiate or during their collegiate experience. Because I also battled some of those issues. I've started battling it in the, at the graduate level, but you know, it was no joke. <laughs> it was no joke at all. It was a serious situation navigating through that for the first time because I didn't have, I hadn't ever experienced uh, mental health, like anxiety or depression was what I was going through. I had never experienced anything like that um, in my, my past. And so not only going through that for the first time, but dealing with everything I was dealing with in my, my PhD program, if I hadn't had great friends around to support me and I didn't have my family around to, or not even around because my family was in a different state, but just there to tell me, you know, it's okay to do what you need to do. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I would have made it through that, proce that process. You know, I, I really credit mental health services for allowing me to get through my PhD program. So I just like to teach my students about, you know, what, like I said, what mental health is and what it isn't, how they can get help, how these different things may manifest, and even why, you know, what is kind of the perfect storm of, of college and graduate school that tends to create or at least uh, exacerbate for many people these mental health conditions and, and why, because I don't want them to be blindsided if they start to feel something creeping up uh, and I want them to know what kind of services are generally available to them both on campus and off campus because you know for many students there's a, a hesitancy to get involved with on-campus services well okay <laughs> what about the off-campus services then as well um, so I just want them to know what the options are why these things may happen may be happening what they are um, and that they can't get through it and to not feel any kind of guilt or shame for utilizing those services. Well, I will say that I, you know, listening to you, I really wish you were around when I was in school. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely encourage our audience to take a look at your website, check you out and, you know, consider uh, working with you because it, it's definitely a, a huge need to have an advocate, to have somebody on your side if anybody, most of the people who, who listen to the show, they know my story. They know my experience in higher education. They also know why I left higher education. So <laughs> I, I can, I can, I can speak um, to your work and say that is is well needed. So having said that, how can people find you and how can they check you out, look you up, follow you, and then hopefully eventually, you know, secure you as a support system? Right. Well, online they can find me at www.myscholarlypursuits.com so that's myscholarlypursuits.com and then on social media you can find us at on instagram and scholarly underscore pursuits again scholarly underscore pursuits and then on facebook at scholarly pursuits llc and we have a very very active instagram account uh, where i post just various tips and tricks to kind of getting through the higher ed process. I also uh, post scholarships and just general news about what's going on in higher ed. Uh, so just to see a little bit about kind of what we do and get some kind of some freebies, really, you can find us 
on Instagram because we're more active on Instagram uh, than on Facebook. So please feel free to check us out there. But our website uh, gives you kind of all access into the things that we do. We have a list of services, an easy contact form that you can fill out if you're interested. But I am always available uh, via a DM on Instagram or um, uh, an inbox message away on Facebook. And of course, you can email me at founder at myscholarlypursuit.com. Okay, well, awesome. So any parting words, and I know you're busy, so we're not going to hold you, but anything you want to share with people just to keep them encouraged? I just want students of color, first-gen students, undocumented students, I want them to know that they can succeed in higher ed and that there will be challenges that they will face that other students are not facing, but that you can succeed and that higher ed is indeed a space for you. But make sure to utilize your village and your resources. Build that that community. I mean, people of color have such a rich history of getting through difficult, challenging times through the support of, of others, through that village. So don't neglect the importance, don't neglect that village once it comes to higher ed. Mm-hmm. So reach out, reach out to people, find your supporters, get that help um, and know that ed, higher ed is for you and you can do it. Gotcha. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Davis, for coming on. I've been looking forward to this. This has been very helpful and very enlightening. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Absolutely. Okay, so guys, look forward to future conversations with myself and Dr. Davis. As soon as we get off this call, I will talk to her about some ideas I have. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully you all will get a chance to hear from her again through our, our brand. But otherwise, please hit her up, take a look at that website, follow her Instagram and Facebook. And until then, we will talk to you next time. Take care.